Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to second service here at MRCC on Christmas week. It's great to be with you. It's great to celebrate with you because that's what we do this week. We celebrate. And special thanks, can I just offer my own personal special thanks to about 20 of you in the first two services alone who have come up to show me your Christmas cat sweaters, all right? <laughs> Thank you for your heart. Thank you for that. That was, that's beautiful. That's glorious. Appreciate it. Somebody says, Pastor, where's yours? Well, I got a red shirt and a red and green jacket. And about another 20 of you said, fail. And I'm like, well, I didn't want to distract anybody when I'm preaching. They said, Pastor, your face is already a distraction, so I just moved past. Now, anyway, great to see you, and Merry Christmas. I hope you got plans to celebrate this week. By the way, you don't want to miss out on my wife's costume. She's teaching in Children's Church Second Service, but it's worth a walk down the hall. Hers comes with antler and a tail and the whole thing, so you might want to see that. But uh, anyway, hey, it is Ugly Christmas Sweater Sunday, so we have a panel of highly qualified judges who have been scanning you all morning. It's really just Pastor Dave by himself, but we have some winners, and we want to give you prizes. Uh, can we, everybody who's got one of those sweaters on, though, would you just stand up real quick so we can celebrate you? Come on. You didn't wear it because you didn't want to be noticed. Go ahead and stand up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, do that. All right. There's a lot of good stuff. Somebody had on like a furry, fuzzy 70s sweater vest thing. I said, that looks just like that episode of Star Trek. Anybody remember where they had the... Anyway, enough of that. All right, here's our winners. Our second, our second runner-up, and Pastor Dave's got some prizes for our winners this morning. Our second runner-up for uh, Ugly Christmas Sweater is to Madeline Olson. Where is Madeline? Yeah. Come take a look. Yep, there we go. Yeah, let's show that one off. Pa Pastor Dave was wearing that bow in his hair, but he traded it to her. So, uh, Madeline. And then, first runner-up went to Carson Olson. First runner-up went to Carson, so we got to give that one to him. And our big winner in second service, you got to stand up so we can all see you, Taz. I don't see where you're sitting. Where's Taz Cordova? Taz, there he is, right back here. All right, yeah, 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 yeah. Our winner for the costume. Pastor Dave's got a prize for you there. But Taz, Taz, I'm sorry, you'll never win back your wife's respect. So that's over and that's gone, but uh, cool. Well, welcome, welcome, Merry Christmas. There's just not, no such thing as too much Christmas. Somebody say amen. I mean, I, I feel that. I hope you've got a great week planned. My mom is gonna come up and spend the week with us. That's gonna be outstanding. Looking forward to that. Hope you've got plans. Um, hey, a, a couple things uh, to draw to your attention before we jump into God's word this morning. And, and one of them is that, first of all, uh, on behalf of all the, the leadership of our church, the pastoral staff, I just want to thank you. This was the week that the church gave us pastoral appreciation gifts, each of the pastors on the staff. And that comes through our deacon board to us, and we were each individually blessed this week by that gift. So we thank you for that. 
Um, it, it's really amazing and awesome and outstanding. You probably, some of us may know, most churches do a pastoral appreciation thing in October. We just like to be different and weird. We do it at Christmas. So thank you uh, for that gift. And then a couple of quick announcements. One is that um, coming up this next two weeks, there won't be any Wednesday night activities. So impact and, and culture and all those things that happen on Wednesday night won't be happening for the next two weeks, this Wednesday and next Wednesday, so be aware of that. But next Saturday, as you know, is Christmas Eve, and we have a, a long, warm tradition here at MRCC uh, of gathering for Christmas Eve candlelight communion. And what we do is we come together for about 40 minutes, the kids, everybody, families in the sanctuary, and uh, we sing some of those Christmas songs of worship, and then we receive communion together as a family, and then we go out by candlelight singing Silent Night. It's an awesome experience, a great way to launch into Christmas Eve. So I want to invite you to come and be a part of that. That will be happening next Saturday, Christmas Eve, at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and 4 o'clock. So three services, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and 4 o'clock, whatever works for you. It's always great. We'll have cookies and cider and stuff like that, but... It's just a wonderful time. So that will be happening. And then, because next Sunday is Christmas Day, that Christmas Eve communion service will be our worship service next Sunday or next week. So we won't be coming back on Christmas morning for worship. We will be worshiping on Christmas Eve. So take note of that. If you show up next Sunday, you can just hang out here by yourself, do cookies in the parking lot, whatever works for you, uh, and have yourself a good old time. But uh, so the Christmas Eve will be our weekend service. That following Sunday... Sunday falls on New Year's Day, but we will have services as normal. Some people have asked. Yeah, we'll be worshiping as normal on the morning of the first. We have the second off, a lot of us, so we can do our thing then. But we will be having uh, worship services that morning. And, and, and then finally, uh, one last thing is that we're, we're coming up on youth winter camp that is going to be happening the 14th and 15th of January for the teenagers, middle schoolers, high schoolers. And we want to invite your sons, daughters, grandkids to, to be part of youth winter Winter camp uh, again the 14th and 15th of January. Uh, you can contact Pastor Tyler or the church office to get more details. And if the cost is a challenge for you, some of you have heard this a million times. You'll hear it a million more. But if you haven't heard this before, if the cost of getting your kids or grandkids to camp is a challenge, please come talk to us. We are a family. That's why we all give in order to make things like that happen. And we'll make sure your kids, your grandkids, get to camp. So don't be shy about that. Come and let us know so that we can help sponsor and support so that's that camp is right around the corner good stuff okay open your bible this morning if you would to that traditional christmas place luke chapter 2 but when you go there we're going to come at this this morning from a different angle than maybe you have heard before this year and, and i want to begin by asking you this what is it that inspires you to start singing? What is it that causes you to burst into singing? Now, all of us do that from time to time. You know, maybe you get in the car and your favorite song comes on and you know nobody can hear you, so you just go for it, right, out on the freeway and you don't even really care if people are looking at you. You're just singing along, right? Or, or maybe you get together with friends and you're on a road trip and and that song comes on and suddenly everybody, you just, you start singing. You're just, you, you know you sound terrible, but you sing anyway. Somebody say amen, right? Or maybe it's the temptation that we all feel in the shower. 
well, the acoustics are nice, you know. And if you're like me, usually when I shower, I got the radio playing and something will come on. And the next thing I know, I'm singing in the shower. Uh, I don't normally do that if I know my wife is standing there. But one morning, uh, I was just going for it in the shower. It was early. Journey came on the radio. I got my soap, and I'm not going to stop believing, right? I'm just saying, don't stop. I'm going for it. And I opened my eyes, and she came back early from her run. And she's standing there staring at me. I'm like, and she goes, oh, honey, I believe. <laughs> right? I mean, there, there are things that move you to sing. There are things that move all of us to sing. What are the things that move you? And here's the reason I ask. The Christmas story tells us that on Christmas Eve, the angels burst into song. Why do you think they did that? Now, now maybe you've sort of operated under the assumption that the angels were like hired to do professional singing, you know, and they got gigs at certain times and places, and so they show up and do what they're supposed to do. You'd be wrong. You'd be wrong if you assume. Others of us kind of sort of unconsciously think of angels as like robots, right? Angels show up and they do what they do. They sing. You'd be wrong about that. The Bible teaches us that angels have free will. They actually make choices to serve or not to serve. The Bible tells us, subject for another time, that about a third of them rebelled against God, left their places of authority, went off to do their own thing. So angels aren't robots, and they're not professionally hired to do what they do. Angels choose. And the Christmas story tells us that at Christmas Eve, the angels burst into song. I'm pretty sure it wasn't Don't Stop Believing, but it was something they felt just as much. Why do you think the angels sang? You know, we've all um, been deeply moved by songs from time to time. There's some worship songs that all of us feel are special. We get deeply moved by them. For, For me, there's a couple I think of, blessed be the name. When the sun's shining down on me, when it's not, blessed be your name, Lord. That song just gets me. You know, one of the ones that's come up in the last few years is the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. You feel that? All my life you have been so, so good. And and something comes up in us and flows out of us as we feel inspired to sing. Amazing grace does that for some of us. It was something like that that happened to the angels on Christmas Eve. And this morning, we want to explore that and understand that. They're not just punching a clock. They're not robots. They're singing for a reason. They're singing because they feel it. And we want to explore what it was that they were feeling. So I invited you to turn to Luke chapter 2, where the Bible says that suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel who first appeared The backup band showed up. Don't think boys to men or 98 degrees or whatever. It's not K-pop, all right? This is angelic stuff here. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared 
praising God, singing. That's the context for that phrase, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. What moved them? Let's, let's talk about that for a few minutes. The first thing that we want to understand is that the angels sang church because of what we call the incarnation or the advent. Pastor Weston quoted that passage from John chapter 1 a little bit ago during worship. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In other words, God became a human being. I mean, just think about that. The amazement that comes with that. Not, not just a human being on, on Christmas Eve, but a baby. He incarnated. God in all his fullness, the scripture says, entered our world as a human being. And he didn't just skip to the end when he's got control of everything. He came as a baby, as a, an infant, a newborn, born in, in what the modern equivalent would be a homeless shelter, to a teenager in a marriage that had a lot of question marks swirling around it because people didn't understand what was actually happening. But God became a human being. Now, you may say to yourself, well, the angels knew that all along. Why do you say that? No, they didn't. The prophets didn't understand that in its fullness. And the scripture says even angels long to look into what was revealed ultimately by the prophets. The angels in this moment of singing are blown away. They're like, oh my goodness, that's God. You know, God hangs out on the big chair upstairs in control of everything, created us all. He just became a baby. He just became a human being. The angels went, whoa, minds blown. And they burst into song because they were so moved. Can I just tell you, um, like some of you, I didn't grow up in a, in a church home, okay? I, I met Jesus as a young married man. I was grown up. And, and so growing up, I, you know, we did Christmas and I knew it was about a bunch of stuff. I mean, you know, Frosty the Snowman came around and Santa and Rudolph. And, and then there was also some kind of a major thing going and there was a star. And, but I didn't know what it was about. It's just Christmas stuff. And then when I became a believer that first year, and it was explained to me what was actually happening at Christmas, I have never gotten over it. God became one of us. God emptied himself of glory, entered our world, stepped into it in such a way that you and I could have sat across from him at the table over mod pizza and had a conversation. That's how near he came. And it just blew my mind. And I got to tell you, I have not gotten over it. And the angels were blown away also. And they haven't gotten over it. They're still singing about it. They were in awe. And they burst into song because people no longer need wonder who God is. He came among us. He made himself known in the most personal way possible. You know, there's a, there's a moment uh, at the Last Supper on the last night before Jesus went to the cross where Philip, one of his disciples, you can read about it in John 14, says to Jesus this, you know, Philip's been following him for three years. He's seen the miracles. He's heard the parables. He's been taught all this stuff. And he says, you can just hear his heart. He says, Lord, just show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. We know he's there. Show us who he is. 
we have hindsight, so we say, Philip, come on, man. But in the moment, Philip's like, that's, that's what my heart cries out for. You know, the Bible tells us everybody, whether we're believers in church or not, everybody knows God is there. Everybody knows it. The question is whether we admit it or not. And, and then the other part of what everybody feels is, what's he like? What's his heart? What's his mind? How would it be to know him personally? And Philip is feeling that, so he says, Lord, show us the Father. The Bible tells us that Jesus responded in verse 9 and said this, Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. G.K. Chesterton put it wonderfully. He said, in God, there is no unchristlikeness at all. In other words, he is exactly like Jesus. You know, a lot of believers, before we grow up in our faith, we kind of have this hazy notion, ah, Jesus is great, he's close to us, but then there's God. But as we grow up in our faith, we learn and understand that our faith is about a Godhead, a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when you've seen one, you've seen them all. And so Jesus says, Philip, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. The angels are singing because now any human being who wants to know the heart, the mind of God, all they have to do is listen to the words of Jesus, watch what he does, and we can know him as he is. And church, understand, that moment was a revelation even to the angels. You know, a subject for another time, but the Bible says that you and me in our capacity to know God are greater than angels. In fact, the scripture tells us that someday we're going to judge them because we are made of a higher order than even they are. But in that moment, they're like, wow, we didn't know God was going to do this. We didn't know God could do this. We didn't know God wanted to do this. And they burst into song. That's why they're singing. There's another reason why they're singing. They're singing because the feeling in that day was that, you know what? Wicked and corrupt governments have taken over the show. The whole world is a mess from the top down. Israel's leadership was crooked and corrupt from Sanhedrin to Herod. Rome had come in and conquered all these independent nations, taken away their freedom, and was oppressing Israel at the time. And everybody felt that that culture, that wicked, wayward culture of Rome was, was just flooding the earth and washing away the way things should be. And there was a feeling of desperation and a, a feeling of anger and a feeling of confusion but the angels sing because in the middle of all that mess, they begin to perceive and understand that God is still on the throne and God's doing his thing. Yeah, let me break this down for a moment. Uh, verse 2, uh, verse 1 to 3 of chapter 2 says this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the whole Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. In other words, it happened regularly. And everyone went to his own town to register. What if every time Congress or the president decided you had to go back to your hometown and hang out in whatever Motel 6 you could scrape together and wait for them to do paperwork? How would you feel about that? Joseph and Mary and all Israel are feeling that. There would have been resentment. There would have been a sense of injustice. There would have been a sense of oppression. 
They're complaining about what they have to do. And especially because it happens. I mean, Mary's in the last part of her last trimester. You know, Joseph's business has to be suspended. No income while we're doing this census again. And there would have been this feeling that things were out of control. But the truth is that in everything that was happening, God was at work working out his agenda. You see, Joseph was born in Bethlehem, which meant that for a census, he had to go back to Bethlehem. And that just so happened to fit perfectly with one of the many Old Testament prophecies about the coming of Messiah. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the Bible says this, but you, Bethlehem, a small town. You know, Bethlehem was the Buckley, the Enumclaw, the Black Diamond of those days. Top, small town, it's Nowheresville, right? But you, Bethlehem, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, and not just an earthly king, but whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. God is going to enter the world in Bethlehem. And while there would have been this feeling, the census is just one more injustice. In fact, God was at work in it to bring Joseph and Mary right to where they needed to be. And what happened when they got there? Verses 4 to 7, Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married and was expecting. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son, wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. The angels are singing because, look, the plan is all coming together exactly like they said it would, exactly like the prophets said it would. Wow, God, we thought it was out of control. Church, you and I need to understand that in 2022, God's still on the throne. And he's working out his perfect plan. And it may not feel like it sometimes. It may not look like it sometimes. But he can't be knocked off that throne. You know, if I can quote an old song from the 70s, he's got the whole world in his hands. Should we just do a kumbaya and sing that here this morning? Christmas is the angels kumbayaing because they realize, oh, he's got this. He's got this whole situation in his hands. Church, it may sometimes seem to you and me like the bad guys are running the show and doing whatever they want and God's not in control. Certainly it would have felt that way to Mary and Joseph, but the truth is the behind the scenes, God is using all these things to bring about the fulfillment of his word and his plans. And, you know, here's the other side of that. It's possible to see that. You know, two of the people that I love in the Christmas story, probably Rhonda and my favorite people uh, in the Christmas story, are a couple of people, a guy and a girl, Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna paid so much attention to the scriptures that when this stuff started going down, they were like, watch, it's about to happen. And then when Jesus was brought to the temple, Simeon went, yes, there it is. Everybody else is going, what? He says, well, you don't see it because you, you haven't been listening. But this is the Messiah. And he took the baby in his arms. He's, oh, hallelujah, God. And he sang. Anna, the same thing, a prophetess who'd been in the temple forever, just, just centering on God. And then she saw him and she went, oh, oh, I know what this is. Church, it's possible to see these things. You and I can if we listen to his word more than we listen to the news. 
And he invites us to do that. And the angels are singing because of it. They're like, wow, check this out. Look at this. We want to grasp this. We want to understand. That's why the psalmist wrote these words in Psalm chapter 2. He said, why do the nations conspire? And the people's plot in vain, and the kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Why do they do that? They're not going to get anywhere. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them and says, I'll have the last word. I've installed my king. He will rule when all is said and done. What the wicked have done will be undone. And the king will rule forever. And the angel's like, oh, 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 yeah, we see it. Oh, hallelujah. Right? I go to Handel's Messiah because I'm old. But anyway, yeah, there's, there's this whole thing going on there. It's important for us to grasp this because when we do, Christmas sets us free from fear. John Ortberg writes about going surfing very early one morning where he grew up in Southern California. He says, I like to get out really early before everybody else. So one morning I got out just the crack of dawn. He says, I got my board down on the beach. Beach was deserted. Nobody there except one guy down the way. This is Southern California. So there's one guy at sunrise doing Tai Chi on the beach, right? You can sort of picture him. He's got the headband, the beard, the whole thing going on. He says, but it was just me and him. He says, so I got out there and I paddled out. It's quiet. It's beautiful. He said, about the third time I was out to catch a wave, I turned my board around. I'm ready, waiting for the next wave. And I look over and here comes this little wisp of a boy on a miniature surfboard paddling right up next to me. He said he was a little guy. He couldn't have been more than eight or nine years old. John writes, I think he could have surfed on a Frisbee. He was that small, right? He's a little guy. And he paddled up next to me. He said, hi. <laughs> I thought to myself, what is a little kid doing out here by himself in the water? He says, so I said, hi, boy, you're, you're pretty young to be out here surfing. How old are you? He said, I'm seven years old. He thought to himself, you're seven years old and you're out here by yourself? He says, are, are, are you here all alone? He goes, no, my dad's here. He goes, look, and he pointed to the Tai Chi guy on the beach, right? And he waved at his dad and his dad waved back. And John said, suddenly in that moment I understood and God spoke to my heart. He says, suddenly in that moment, I realized that that boy was completely without fear because in his mind, Tai Chi, dad on the beach, has everything under control. And as long as he can see him and they can see each other and wave, there's nothing to be afraid of. He's not out there going, I have a tiny board. I'm only seven. I weigh 40 pounds. No, he's going out here going, I'm here with my dad. And my dad's got it under control. My dad wouldn't have sent me out here if it wasn't safe. John said, wow, that's, that's how God wants us to feel. And the angels are singing because at Christmas they can see that God's got it. Do you know that? You'll sing when you do. You just burst into song when you do, like the angels did. But there's, 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 there's some more. We're, we're getting towards the end here, but there's some more. The angels are also singing because on this night of Christmas Eve, God reveals something about them they also would never, about him, that they also would never have guessed. And that is that God, catch this, friends, because this is going to be so counterintuitive for most of us. God is humble. 
You may think to yourself, no, he's not. <laughs> because you think of humility this way. People who have lack or failure or weakness or infirmities, those people should be humble, right? My wife says, you should be more humble because you're not very smart. She says that to me, right? We think in those terms. <laughs> but humility is not something we are because we lack. Humility is something we choose because we love. Uh, listen to what the angel says. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 and following. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks. And an angel appeared. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And, and the shepherds were terrified. Yeah, we get it. The angel says, don't be afraid. Yeah, don't be afraid. He's, uh, angels are always saying that to us. He says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Right? We hear a phrase like that and our minds leap. Oh, everybody wins the lottery, right? Uh, all mortgages paid off. Um, you know, all, Russia defeated and Ukraine free. Somalia and Ethiopia fed. Myanmar, freedom for women. We think, what is it? It's going to be great. But the angel says, here's your sign. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. In other words, you'll find out that God is humbling himself. He's stooping into our world to serve us, to save us, because he loves us. God's not above it all. God's not indifferent to it all. He stoops to serve. Think about that. And the angels go, oh my goodness, that's God who just surrendered all his glory and allowed himself to incarnate as a baby. You know, if I were going to come to serve the world, I'd be, save the world, I'd be tempted to come in like some Hollywood superhero, guns blazing, power on display. And most of us think in those terms because we're so deceived that we believe that evil and spiritual darkness can be defeated with enough seals and airstrikes and good elections. But it can't. God knows better. So he comes as a baby in our midst. He comes as a servant. He comes in humility and weakness. You see, church, grasp this. God's greatest glory lies in his ability to humble himself. In his ability to make himself approachable, accessible, and small to us. I struggle with this sometimes with kids, right? I'm, I'm the pastor, so whenever I'm around kids, I, I try to like be kitty for them. So I, I kneel down and I get right in their faces. And they go, ah, right? They, they're like, it's too much. But my wife, my wife is the Pied Piper of kids. <laughs> Wherever we go, the park, the mall, the neighborhood, walking down the sidewalk, kids just come up to her. It's like they're in a daze. They're like, watch out, because she could steal your kids if you're not paying attention. There's something about her that they just approach. <laughs> they're just drawn to her. It's because she chooses. It's because that's what matters to her. And that's what God does at Christmas. He wants you to draw near to him. In fact, he wants you to let him serve you. That's why the angels are singing. Do you remember at the Last Supper when Jesus is washing feet? Peter, like most of us, says, oh, Lord, you shouldn't wash my feet. You're a great man. I'm a little man. Jesus says, hey, this is what great men do. So, Peter, you got to let me wash you. you got to let me serve you. 
is that's my heart. And the angels are going, oh my goodness. Listen to how the apostle Paul writes about it in Philippians chapter two. He says to, to me and you, he says, your attitude, Greg, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. He stooped, he humbled himself, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and then he became obedient even to death on a cross because he knew that would defeat the evil that lives in our hearts. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of This is his greatness. And the angels have seen his power and his stature and might. Now they see him humbling himself and they are blown away. And they burst into song. Oh, wow, look at what God's doing. You and me become great like him when we get small for somebody else. Yeah. Tell you a quick story. Many years ago when Ron and I were just starting out in the ministry, we served a tiny church in northern Idaho. We got an invitation in the mail that we didn't expect. It was from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And they said, hey, we're going to offer you a scholarship to go to a pastor's conference. I'd never been to one before. So we're going to offer you to, a scholarship to go to a pastor's conference to stay at the five-star hotel at Lake Louise in British Columbia <laughs> for nothing, for free, right? Why don't you pray about this? I don't need to pray about this, right? I want to go. And so we could have never have afforded that or any of the church couldn't. So yes, I want to do that, right? So we go up and we get to spend a whole week in this five-star. People fly from Europe to stay in this hotel, China, wherever. And we're staying in for the whole week for nothing, and we get to go to all these meetings and conferences and classes. And I'll never forget, I saw one class was going to be taught by Chuck Smith. Do you know who Chuck Smith was? Chuck Smith led one of the greatest revivals that happened in the 20th century. It was the Jesus People Movement that started in Southern California, spread around the world, became a whole other denomination of the church, Calvary Chapel. Uh, Chuck Smith was the one who inaugurated all of that. Somebody was telling me they saw on Netflix, he looks a little bit like Kelsey Grammer, but we'll leave that for another time. Anyway, so we signed up for that class, and we thought, man, this is going to be... So we go into this huge auditorium for this class, and there's only us and one other couple. And we thought, oh, we messed up. We're in the wrong place. Nope, Chuck Smith comes walking in through the door. And he looks around, he goes, oh, okay. So he comes over, and he sits down, and we pull our five chairs in a circle. And for the next hour and a half, the four of us sat there and listened to Chuck Smith teach us about the people of God. And I remember thinking, this is a great man. But then I remember slowly realizing, he's not great because he did great things. He's great because he's sitting here with us right now. Because he cares about us enough to sit here with us. And so we sat there for an hour and a half, and my definition of what is great changed. That's why the angels are singing. That's what God's doing at Christmas, and he's drawing near to you and me. If I could share one other story. I've shared this before, so please be patient if you've heard it before. I'm going to make it brief. But when I was a young pastor serving in Lacey, there was a couple in our church who would come every Sunday, small, older couple. He was always in a tweed jacket and a bow tie. She was always well put together, and I'd see him out in the congregation, and, you know, and we'd have church, and then you know, afterwards, sometimes we'd shake hands, but there was never time to talk. 
never time to really sort of sit down until one Sunday we were having an after church event and they stuck around and the next thing I know I'm like oh I see them I want to talk to them get to know them and stuff. so I walk over and we're chit-chatting and he says the man says to me he says oh Pastor Greg I just love it when you tell stories about the military he says I can relate to those he says I, I retired from the military myself I was like oh something to talk about okay tell me where were you he said well I was in the army and you know I spent 30 years in the army and I was like oh that's so cool where were you stationed blah 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 I said well you know what was your last duty station where did you retire at he says well my my last duty station is I was the commanding general of Fort Lewis <laughs> I was like oh, I'm talking to the former commanding general <laughs> ah! you know and he could see that all over my 20 something face and I'll never forget what he did immediately he stretched out his hand. He put it on my arm. He says, no, Pastor Greg. Here, you're my pastor, and I'm your brother. And I said to myself, that's a great man. That's a great man. And after that, I was just like, wow. And, and what he did meant so much to me, helped me so much. The angels are discovering that about God. God wants you to discover that about him at Christmas. He wants to be near you. He wants you to know him as his son, his daughter. He wants you to call him dad. That's what's happening at Christmas, and that's, that's what the angels are celebrating. The glory of God is that he is Emmanuel, God with us. The scripture says in Matthew, the virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and they will call him God with us. God with us. That's what he wants you to call him. Christmas reveals that God steps down with us into darkness and struggles like a mom crawls into bed with a sick child or like a grandpa lays his hand on the shoulder of a struggling teenager. In those moments, we know that his presence is worth more than all the difficulties we're going through. He's with us in the aches and pains of an old and aging body. Somebody say amen. I fell down the stairs at my house on Friday and broke my hand. I fell like an old man. My wife said, well, that's because you are. He's with us in that. He's with us in, in the weakness and difficulties of a sick body. He's with us in our ugly failures and in the brokenhearted regrets that we carry from them. He's with us in our grief when those we love are suddenly gone and leave a great yawning emptiness. He's with us in our loneliness. He's with us when our babies miscarry and our teenagers turn away and when our parents never figure out because they're too self-absorbed that we need their affirmation. The angels sing, because God is with us. Because God chooses to be with us. Because God wants to be with you. That's why they're singing. And then finally, the last thing, is the angels are singing because when God comes to be with us, hear me church, we're almost done. He comes as a savior, not a judge. He comes as a savior, not a judge. If you haven't let him draw near to you yet, know this. He seeks to draw near to save. 
not to judge. That is the purpose of Christmas. The angels sing because of God's grace. Verses 10 11 of Luke chapter 2, the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy, Greg, and everybody else who I know by name. I bring you good news and great joy, of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior is born to you, a Redeemer, a Rescuer. Christmas is God giving his grace. And he doesn't just come to people who have his act together. He comes to Israel when Israel is a mess. The Sanhedrin's corrupt, got a wicked king in Herod. The Romans are running the show. They're sick from top to bottom. He doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere where people got their act together. He says, no, I'm going to step into the mess. And I'm going to step in as a savior. And, and most of all, he comes to save us from ourselves. And you know what? Deep down, we know that's what we need more than anything else. He comes to save us. He comes to save you and me from ourselves. You know, if I can finish with a story, when I was in middle school, uh, me and a group of guys, we decided we were going to go hiking in the hills just kind of north and east of my hometown of Eugene. There's some big hills just off I-5 there. We decided we're going to go explore them. We're going to be mountain men. And so we headed off on a Saturday to climb through these hills. And at one point, we're coming up a hillside, and we found this hole in the ground that looked like it led into a cave system. And me, being me, I've always got to prove something. I've got to be the first one to try the hardest thing. So I said, I'm crawling in there, guys. I'm going to go explore it. Who's with me? And they're like, well, I'm not going down a hole. I'm like, I'm going. And so I start crawling into this hole because I want to explore these caves. I get like most of the way into the ground, and I realize I'm stuck. <laughs> I'm upside down, my head in the dark, I'm wedged in between rocks and dirt. And suddenly it hits me. Greg, you're stuck. I can't get myself back out. I can't go forward. And a feeling of panic, you know, starts to come on my eighth grade heart. Ah, I'm starting to thrash. I'm stuck, guys, I'm stuck. I'll never forget what happened next. All five of my buddies, they grabbed my shoes, my legs, and they start yanking for all they're worth. Took them like four yanks. They pulled me out of the hole, got raspberries all up and down my sides, knocks on my head. They pulled me out. And that feeling was incredible. I love you guys. You're my friends. You know, I'm getting all teary then. You guys rescued me. The angels sing because God comes to rescue you in your hole. Upside down, your head in the dark, starting to panic. He says, I've come to rescue you. I've come to rescue you. That's what I'm here for. I'm here for you. And the angels are like, hallelujah. And they're singing. They go, look at God. That's how he wants you to know him. So these angels, they're not robots. They're not playing a gig. They're celebrating. They're rejoicing. And he wants us to hear and feel, see the same thing. He wants you to hear and feel and see the same thing. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads with me? Give yourself and those around you just a little sacred space. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're upside down with your head in a hole and you're stuck 
God offers himself as your savior. He says, here, take hold of my hand. Receive my son into your life. Turn your attention to him. Listen to him. Cry out to him. I'm here for you, God says. I want to pull you out. I want to deliver you. I want to lead you to safety. Here, take hold of my hand. It's Christmas. I've come for you. Maybe you're here and, and you know he's come for you, but somewhere along the, the line you stopped paying attention and you stopped singing and you stopped celebrating because you forgot. Because you forgot why he came. Because you forgot how he feels about you. This morning, God wants to remind you. He wants to touch your life, touch your heart. He wants to renew your desire to sing. He wants to send you back home to your shower to sing your head off. God, we thank you for your word this morning. Angels, we thank you for your song this morning. We know that you sing because of the Father. And Lord, we thank you for coming for us at Christmas. Send us into this Christmas week singing as we rejoice in who you are, we pray. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Would you stand with me, church? Yeah. So, Saturday night, Christmas Eve, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and 4 o'clock, we're going to sing. Bring your family. Candlelight communion, head off into your Christmas celebration. It'll be awesome. The Seahawks will have already lost to the Chiefs by 2 o'clock, so it's not a problem. We can gather and celebrate. Amen. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you throughout this Christmas week. Go with God and tell someone you love them. <laughs>